0: The thick cloud caught a Piper cub's tail, The match struck blue. We got my mobile bottle. I see you floating down
1: And the... slipped on his wooden fish head. The mouth worked and snapped all the bees back to the bungalow.
0: I cried, I came
1: by your veterans day poppy. Hello and welcome to Track by Track Presents Trout Mask Replica. My name is Joel Bakker. I'm guest hosting for Darren Husted. As we go through Captain Beefheart and his magic band's legendary 1969 double album Trout Mask Replica. Uh, Today's track is Old Fart at Play, which is track 27 on the album. It is track 7 on side 4. This is the next to last song on the record. So if you have made it this far, congratulations. Uh, this was recorded at Whitney Studios in Glendale in March of 1969, um, produced by Frank Zappa. Personnel on here are Bill Harklerode, a.k.a. Zuthorn Rollo on guitar, Jeff Cotton, a.k.a. Antenna Jimmy Siemens on guitar, and also Kinda sort on vocals on this track, considering that he has the last spoken words on the track. Uh, Mark Boston, a.k.a. Rocket Morton on bass, John French, a.k.a. Drumbo on drums, and Don Van Vliet, a.k.a. Captain Beefheart on vocals. The length of this track is a mighty one minute and 51 seconds. Um, my guest today is uh, Brad Schumacher, who is a Denver-based musician of the group of the uh, or this I should solo project I should say Night Grinder. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, you were introduced to me through our mutual friend Allison, uh, and so I think I should probably start things off by saying, um, what was your first exposure to the music of Captain Beefheart, and and what had you been listening to? Prior to hearing this music, what what was your what was your general musical interest at that time?
0: Oh, let's see. Um, well, I was introduced to this this album from. A, let's see. It was a, I was visiting a friend in Kansas City, and his stepdad. I, I was just peeling through his uh, CD collection, and I found, you know, Captain Beefheart, and I was like, oh, I've heard. People talk about this guy on VH1. This is the guy with the cool lyrics, and um, I, I, you know, I just, I just asked his stepdad, like, "Hey, how's this stuff?" And he's like, "Oh, it's great. Uh, you really need to listen to Trout Mask Replica." And um, so I tried and failed the first time. I didn't like it, and then, and and then, uh, but at the time, you know, I wasn't really engaged in anything like that i think i was oh gosh when when this would have been in college so i was listening to some weird stuff you know animal collective um a lot of math rock and stuff that certainly would have been inspired by the album but i didn't really Mm -hmm. care for the album at the time um but you know i've I I like challenging albums and so uh you know several years later I listened to it again after I I had, I think I had read an article about it that recommended that you don't listen to it directly which I think is really good advice because it's not necessarily in an album that rewards you paying super close attention to it because it's a lot to take in and so I listened to it while I was skateboarding and that worked out really well. Um, it kind of let me not get, you know, because cause I mean, this wasn't at a skate park. This is just skateboarding through like South St. Louis, um, which is not particularly well paved. So mm-hmm. you're very distracted by not not wiping out. And and then I fell in love with it. Then I was like, man, this is such a radical vibe. I really dig this. Yeah.
1: That's interesting to the approach of making it part of your milieu or part of your daily soundtrack rather than having it like, you know, just strapping on the headphones and uh, listening to it with a serious expression on your face. <laughs> I, I, I was talking to someone who said that they really like to listen to to Heart while cooking. That something about his mm, music seems to fit yeah. really well with, with blending foods together, which I think is very fitting. That's I, I feel like he would appreciate that.
0: I think that's really fitting, too. Um, I mean, you know, I I think a lot of his music sounds fairly fermented and decomposed anyways, which some food also has that quality. Boy, I love that image, fermented and
1: decomposed. The the number of on the different tracks i've i've recorded discussing this album the number of um really organic images that people have come up with to describe this album natural images is is great um, i was talking to um to uh, someone yesterday who compared the album as a whole to an octopus i just <laughs> I, I, there's something so unique about this record that it you end up reaching for animal or nat- natural associations rather than comparisons to other constructed forms of art.
0: Yeah. How did you say it was like an octopus? I guess we'll he hear that, that on a different episode, won't we?
1: Yeah, we will. But I, the, the gist of it was like, it's this kind of thing with tentacles all over the place and they're going off in all different directions and mm. kind of moving in an alien way, the way yeah. an octopus wood which is a description i i i liked yeah i dig it so um the what so was trout mask the first music of beef hearts that you heard
0: i think so it wasn't yeah it was and i i think what i did was i listened to it i couldn't deal with it and then i i listened to safe as milk and i really liked that i was like oh yes this is uh but because it was um I don't like blues, um, but I like that album. You know, it was kind of just just enough blues to make me like like it, like its bluesy elements, mm-hmm. but not commit to just full on blues, which I I have never developed an appreciation for, and for better or worse. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was probably the second one I listened to after you know the training wheels of Safe as Milk um yeah well safe
1: as milk is a great album too in terms of uh it's certainly a different thing than trout mask but in terms of like a great psychedelic r&b album of the 60s like if that's all they had ever produced was safe as milk people be like oh my god this this album is incredible the fact that he went on to to produce something that was just this completely other thing is is it's almost like you have to treat them as separate bands and separate entities like the the guy that produced trout mask replica you can hear the beginnings of it in safe as milk but there's there's a different um he's got different ends in mind when it comes to yeah, it, and yeah. as it's, does his band
0: yeah it's um i mean yeah there's i mean obviously the voice is there which is always yep. i which to me is always the real, um, I, I I guess I could just say the best part of Captain Beefheart is his voice. Um, I'm a and and I I really enjoy vocalists. You know who are mm-hmm. I mean I, I I like a lot of music that is inspired by Beefheart, but when a vocalist says he's inspired by Beefheart, like um, first one that comes to mind is Rob Zombie. Um, well actually I don't know if he said that or if I just drew that in my own head but but if you ever listen to the old white zombie it sounds a lot like um Don's delivery just this like wild swashbuckling kind of kind of howl that you know of course he is pulling from uh you know blues and R&B singers himself um that have that character but but yeah mm-hmm. I just love that
1: that that is an interesting comparison to draw. I've never heard anyone mention um, Captain Beefheart and Rob Zombie, but now that now that you mention it, I I remember those old White Zombie records and and the kind of guttural tone of his voice on those, and they have a similar affection for like um, 1950s B movie science fiction and horror culture. Uh, sure. Though, I mean Zappa uh, Zappa would reference that I think more frequently than than Van Fleet would, but still definitely a. Um, a theme in his in his music when you get up to clear spot and big-eyed beans from venus he's he's clearly drawing on a, a a store of images from um bad 1950s science fiction
0: movies right yeah um and of course you know rob zombie was just infatuated with that aesthetic um and Yeah, I mean, you know, listening through Trout Mask Replica, I really love. It's almost like Don is adopting different personas. He's like a completely different character, and you know, from song to song, and uh, uh, you know, old fart at play is you know, I, I picked that from the list you had sent me because once I got to that, I remembered listening to the album for the first time, and you know, it's the second to last song, so I'm exhausted. (laughs) <laughs> with listening to music at this point but then this one pops in and you're just like oh wow what a completely different mood you know it's like the the nar- the narrative the the story that he's telling in this song it's like you can almost hear it, it it's like a looney tunes cartoon you can almost hear the slide whistles going on with this like you know pivoted like a duck like all the, all these weird little expressions he has in it And it's um it I think it's one of the most fun to listen to on the album, really. And I I was just, you know, I was just looking at the lyrics and it's like, man, like it's such I mean, what what is this about? Is it about a haunted like 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 a like a possessed mask that shows up in this scene? I what's going on here?
1: Totally clear on that myself. My my impression that I get so from from the reading that I've that I've done, um Van Vliet had a lot of stories and poems that ended up not being, you know, becoming songs or anything. He was just constantly, constantly pulling stuff out, coming up with stuff, and a lot of them focused on this character of the old fart that he would that he would go back to repeatedly. Um, and John French says in his book that um, he thinks that the old fart was something of a self identification figure for for Van Vliet that he saw himself in that way. Right. Although Van Vliet actually said the old fart was based on French, so who who knows? <laughs> um, he also said Van Vliet. Uh, this is from Mike Barnes's book. Van Vliet claimed on a number of occasions that the song was an extract from a novel of the same name, um, but it was never published. It does it flows more like prose than a lot of the other songs on the album, and mm-hmm. it's certainly it's the only one that's delivered in this very straight uh, recital kind of. Yeah kind of voice which he would lean into on his late period albums there's a couple of tracks on on uh shiny beast bat chain puller and ice cream for crow that have the same kind of uh, uh re- recited rather than sung, or you know even in the kind of structured timo way away that he will sing the other things on the album
0: uh yeah he really i think you know this is one of those that really um, kind of sets the date as being you know this this is it has this beat poet sort of vibe to it where the meter is very much a part of the the content and this is this
1: this song is noteworthy for being the the origin of the title that the um, that the the old fart who um, appears to be simply playing a prank on on the character who was named mama it is the i'm not going to read through all of the lyrics in the song because i mean anyone could listen to the song in one minute and 51 seconds and hear them delivered a lot more um poetically than i could it would be
0: entertaining uh, if you did though
1: (laughs) (laughs) well the (laughs) when he arrives so the the old fart is introduced uh slipping on a wooden fish head um and some of, some of the imagery in this song is just so beautiful and evocative and so idiosyncratic to Van Vliet's style. Uh, Mama was flattening and lard with a red enamel rolling pin, which was supposedly Lester Banks's favorite uh, line from a Beefheart song, which is just such a... You were talking about a cartoon image, like you can see kind of, you know the the old cartoon image of the woman you know in the apron putting the pie on the windowsill right and you know tom and jerry stealing the pie or whatever it is it's this it is a uh, old americana
0: by way of looney
1: tunes oh yeah kind of image
0: and the rolling pin is like slightly pulsing to the music for no reason yep. at all and everything yeah, is like, just kind of dancing in the scene kind of
1: dancing around in the stuff like, like an old old Fleischer cartoon yeah yeah then the fish head broke the window, rubber eye erect and precisely detailed uh, The chatter with the chatter of the old fart inside. And then in this wonderful list of animals, Mama licked her lips like a cat, pecked the ground like a rooster, pivoted like a duck. Her stockings caught down, dust and no balls. She cracked her mouth, glazed, caught one eyelash, rubbed her hands on her gorgeous gingham, which is, I think, the third or fourth time he mentions gingham on the album. It's one, it yeah. seems to be one of his favorite words. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, as far from what I can tell from reading through the lyrics, the, the old fart has prepared this extremely elaborate, um, fish mask, uh, the very intricate rainbow trout replica, as he says later on the old fart inside was now breathing freely from his perfume bottle atomizer air bulb invention. So he's gone through an enormous amount of effort crafting a incredibly realistic and terrifying rainbow trout replica as far as I am able to tell solely for the purpose of terrifying this woman as she's trying to cook food, right? which I'm not the person who originated this, this observation. And I cannot remember where I read it. So anyone who listens to this, if you know where this is from contact me, because I want to make sure I, I don't like to not cite my sources, but I don't remember where I read this. Someone made the observation that this feels like, Almost like Van Vliet talking about himself and the band and the amount of effort and preparation and and work that they went into into crafting this album that the listener will inevitably get and be completely
0: baffled by on the first listen. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I mean, it's just there's so much creativity crammed into such a small a small time with with every every part of this you know like you know the 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 sheer deliberation that goes into each of these tracks um i think has probably inspired me more than than any sonic element of it i don't know if you listen to my to any of the night grinder stuff um it doesn't sound i like did this i, I was but... listening to it before we talked oh right on i appreciate that um but you know I, you know, th- this was an album I, I listened to it, and I, I liked it well enough. But then, some, you know, once I, for for some reason, I was I, I just decided I was going to study psychedelic music for a while. There's mm-hmm. you know, there's there's some really decent books out there on it, and um, of course, this album uh, is mentioned a lot. And once I learned about the deliberation and how every single element um especially from the band is is absolutely intentional and meticulously rehearsed um it blew my mind because i um i had no idea how much was improvised it sounded like mm-hmm. a little bit of it was but you know then once learning it listening back to it i'm like yeah you don't really improvise like that though there's something you know it it is it is you can hear it um, that really inspired my music. Just to like, yeah, you know, just get an idea and just go f- and just really hammer it out and really don't settle for half-assing it. Like, like Captain Beefheart does. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it just just it's it's such an inspirational amount of work that went into this thing. And then they just hopped into the studio and cranked it out in what like six hours or something like that. Two yeah, days. Yeah, the maybe? band.
1: Were- the band recorded all of their stuff in one day, um, mostly uh-huh. um, mostly one take versions. I think maybe they got a second take on a few. And then there was another day for Van Vliet to do his overdubs of the vocals and and saxophone and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and that was pretty much it for studio time. They they right. just blasted it out because they had been rehearsing these songs you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. In their house in in uh, Woodland Hills for over a year.
0: Do you ever think? Do, does it ever crack you up when you're listening to this album and you hear the the few like stutters and and mistakes that that Don makes when he's reading his lines? He'll just like hiccup on a line and he just plows forward. And it's just like, yes. man, you would have not allowed your band to do anything like that. <laughs> yeah, he <would laughs> kept he kept the freedom for himself definitely and and that's (laughs) that's
1: something that i've I've talked about with with a few other people especially like when you come to his saxophone playing which was you know extremely untrained uh extremely Uh un, um yeah essentially just blowing into it and moving his fingers and seeing what would come out there was no I, i believe jeff cotton said he gave him the only two saxophone lessons that he ever got so he had two saxophone lessons and then proceeded to smear saxophone all over the entire album. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely good.
0: But yeah, he's really, he's, Oh yeah, it fits. it's really unfair.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I know the band was definitely frustrated by that. And, and also frustrated by the participation of, of Van Vliet's cousin, Victor Hayden under the name of the mascara snake. Cause they're like, we're rehearsing this stuff for hours a day. And this guy shows up with a horn. He can't even play. And now he's in the band mm-hmm so yeah i'm sure that and i i imagine that that tensions tensions were running pretty high in that house based on on everything that i've heard but right. as a testament to the amount of effort that these musicians put in um and the arrangement and uh um the arrangement and instructional skills of john french as the person who was really tasked with teaching this music to the rest of the band it, it's it, it, it's it's and a stone it's like a stonehenge it's just this un an
0: accomplishment that could not be duplicated do you think do you think that had those elements of improvisation and ridiculousness just the the you know throwing shit on the wall moments it, had those not been there in the album if it would have just been this immaculate performance by the band and then don doing his lyrics and not messing them up do do you think it would do you think it would be as good um, no. I, I think that the the
1: moments of humanity and improvisation and the sheer variety that you're getting on the album is part of what makes it so brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. The, and and really really makes it stand out from any comparison too, I think. You don't really find that, that in yeah. a lot of you don't find that in many other albums. It's usually just yeah, and one the, or the other. The
1: stuff on like on the acapella tracks where he'll slip up over a word and and go back and repeat the line or just keep keep moving, that's that's very much in. There's this sense for starters of an unstoppable creativity. Like we're we're not going to go back and fix this because we have to get on to the next thing because there's mm-hmm. this album is just so incredibly dense with creation, and right. as um, Samuel Andreyev said, that e- each song. You know, if you isolate any, you know, 30 seconds to a minute of any song, there's enough riffs there for like half of an album. Yeah. But they are doing them in 30 seconds and then moving on to the next thing because it's just this constant stream of of invention. Um, And so, yeah, some of the silliness and the, the weird little bits between songs and the, uh, you know, recorded band chattering with each other or a, a thing. I think that that's it. It creates a. It, it sets a place in time, in a way too, where the rest of the music can sound so alien and um, forbidding that it's you get these occasional reminders that no these these were just these were just people you know brilliant right. people phenomenal musicians but you know capable of making errors or being slightly off the beat or uh, there's a moment on um, the last chord that's played on the song Bill's corpse where I, I'm guessing it's Bill Harkle wrote, I'm not sure, it might be Jeff Cotton, but whoever it is who plays the last chord is clearly struggling to hit it for a second before they actually get it. Like you can hear the fingers squeak on the strings. And I really love, I love that, that the, these moments of the humanity of the people who are making this this phenomenal music coming through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it definitely, you know, it, it, it those little segues, they they, they give you give you a few seconds to breathe as well and it this album it's it's like it's like an album of morsels you have these little you know the songs are fairly short and so you get these little morsels of music that are really dense and then you have a little you know you'll get a little break and then you have another morsel um, which I I think is I'm sure there have been I, I don't know if that's like a style of of album production, but I always really appreciate when when bands do that when they'll come up with these little isolated musical ideas, and the final album kind of feels like a you know it's like a like a a, a sampler full of chocolates or something where everything's just like you kind of get a you get you just get this little identity, and then you move on to the next little identity. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, that I I completely agree with that, and and some of the Production choices on this album. I mean, I wasn't there. I obviously can't say for sure. Some of them feel very much like Zappa's influence.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, The use of studio chatter between tracks, the weird little comedy bits, like the uh, Rocket Morton, I Run on Laser Beans interlude. Those all Mm -hmm. feel like things that would be on a Zappa record that, that Van Vliet did not, he didn't do much like that on his later Recording, so I don't know to what degree that was Zappa flexing his producer muscle and and putting things together that way. But that kind of um, patchwork approach is was something that Zappa used a lot. Like Uncle Meat is is put together that way with little bits of chatter in between smaller songs and then live performances. Just this kind of bricolage
0: approach to to structuring an album. You had, I think, you had touched a little bit on this earlier, but the uh, the last line in the song, you know, his excited eyes from within the dark interior glazed, watered in appreciation of his thoughtful cleveration. What's the story with that? You know, it's obviously recorded at a different time in a different room, and tacked on um, at the f- end. His excited eyes from within the dark interior glazed, watered in appreciation of his thoughtful preparation. Oh, man, so
1: heavy. Yes, from what I understand, that is a recording of Van Vliet reciting the lyrics to the band. There were daily uh, poetry recitals at the uh, at the Trout House where he would have the band all sit down and, and listen to him read his poems. Um, there's a, uh, uh, This has been brought up multiple times on the show, and I'll probably bring it up many more as I continue to record. There was a strong cult atmosphere in the in the Trout House, and um, I think that that you know, rounding up everyone to make to listen to my poet listen to me read my poetry, has has strong cult leader vibes. Yeah, but that uh, the final moments of the recording with him reading in that kind of uh, faux Shakespearean, um, and and his excited eyes from within the dark interior glaze waters in appreciation of his thoughtful preparation, and then you you clearly hear Jeff Cotton afterwards saying. Man, that's so heavy. Yeah. Which
0: <laughs> which I love. Oh man, that's so heavy. So heavy. And yeah, I, like when I like initially I... heard
1: that, I kind of thought they were joking around, but from what I understand, Cotton really was incredibly moved by that by that delivery of of this that he's he's his appreciation is genuine. Mhm. 50 years ago, it
0: probably would have sounded a little less tacky
1: (laughs) well the band members were certainly aware of as as difficult a man as van vliet was to work with and that's been been document well documented in many different places that he was a brilliant lyricist and a brilliant vocalist was not lost on any of the rest of the band and you know a a commitment to making this music as strange as it was and as um incredibly uh convoluted as the process of composing it and and learning it was um there was no lack that no one lacked for commitment out of this group everyone was 100 percent in to to making to making this album how, how they felt about it afterwards is is something that i always find interesting like some of the band members seem seem proud of it some seem to have come to peace with what was sort of a traumatic time in their lives mm-hmm. um and I know Jeff Cotton up until recently didn't really even want to talk about it. Like he he did not do a lot of inter or perhaps any of the interviews. I don't think until fairly recently. So
0: I don't know how you could not be proud of. Well, I mean, yeah, because there's there'd be so much trauma associated. With exactly. This. I mean, especially if you have a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome situation, uh, loving loving a man's poetry who's sort of had sort of has you under his absolute control mentally speaking you know i i had been reminded earlier um you know the little the little segment tacked at the end of the song um there is you know i i, I try and record often even whenever i'm just horsing around in the studio and i i i, mm-hmm. I lucked out and um found a little recording of me just playing guitar by myself and Oh, this isn't yeah, this isn't very interesting.
1: <laughs> but anyway,s <laughs> i
0: I've, I've, I've I found this old recording. You know, I I I'd been working on this um this hip hop song, and mm-hmm. I went, I, you know, I I was I was making this track. It was a very dense track, and I found a recording of me playing guitar, and it didn't have anything to do with the song. But then I just I just threw it in there and I, I actually have a, a guitar solo that was that was recorded before the rest of the music that I just tacked in there, and it just happened to work out. And I ended up doing that several times on the album, which I think was probably, definitely inspired by this album, this sort of like hodgepodge um, patchwork style that goes into this album. I mean, this is just a random anecdote, though. No, no, that's, that's interesting.
1: Whatever. I think that, yeah, the... When people talk about the composition of this album and that, you know, obviously with that the music was all very th- through composed and, and the band members had to really struggle to, you know, learn these uh, ridiculously complicated pieces, that that it was born from him playing, you know, trying to write on an instrument he had no idea how to play. That he right, which was, is
0: a really good idea. It kind of yeah, is, it, isn't it? Yeah, I've I've done that a few times. I have my piano hooked up right now, and I don't know how to play it. But you make terrible mistakes, and then every once in a while, you make a beautiful accident when the recorder is going, and then you've won. You exactly,
1: know? you find something just through through sheer sheer stubborn banging around that's worthwhile or interesting.
0: Do you play music?
1: I, I have occasionally. I, I play a little bit. I, I screw around on the bass. Oh, um, great! But that's that's really about about it. I, I can make some noises, but I'm
0: I'm not. Um, not I'm, I wouldn't qualify myself as a musician. The bass is a great instrument to play if you don't know how to play it because because out you know if you're around other people and you just slam into it and you don't really know what you're doing. People just appreciate that you're slamming into the bass. You're just hitting it really hard, just really like plucking the strings like you're, you know, firing off a bow and arrow. It sounds really <laughs> good. It's got a big, fat sound. And even if it's pure trash, if you're with a good drummer and you can kind of keep the beat, that's usually enough, you know. Like there's a lot of bands that can that can go on tour with <laughs> with that energy. I I tell you, the barely functional bassist. Well, not that. Well, well, kind of. I mean, I've you know, I've, I've, I've been in, in in several noise scenes where, you see a lot of musicians or at least performers get up there, who don't have talent, but they have enough raw gusto Mm -hmm. that you love it, and it and it's really entertaining, and it's a really good show. So, so yeah, a barely (laughs) someone if they can't play the bass, but if they can just hit it good. It's good enough, man. Um, right? They've on. got kind commitment of if nothing else right. They have commitment, and if they make a mistake, you know, they just keep going forward. you know. what kind of bass do you have?
1: Oh, it's just a cheap squire Squire jazz bass copy. oh nice, yeah. I just I just tool around around the house and annoy my family with it. That's about the extent of my my musicianship nowadays. I started on on guitar, of course, as I think. Right. Most most people who are are who grow up listening to rock music at some point who want to who are like oh I would like to do that the the instrument they gravitate toward is probably the guitar mm-hmm. more often than not because getting a drum kit into a house where people aren't going to kill you for <laughs> practicing the drum
0: kit is a right. is a challenge right and 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 I mean you know it it, it takes a while you you, you kind of need a further element of of music appreciation to even. Hear the bass in most songs, so you wouldn't even you wouldn't think of playing bass until you've played guitar and done some critical listening, and then be like, "Oh, hey, what's this counterpoint that I haven't paid attention to, but now I realize is actually what's holding the song together." You know,
1: uh, I've always liked Mike Watt's analogy. Mike Watt from the Minutemen, uh, his analogy that if the a band is the Three Stooges, then the bass player is Larry. He's like, he's the guy in the middle. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, you yeah. know, Mo's, Mo's the guy in charge. Curly's the crazy guy. Larry's kind
0: of the middle guy who's just sort of holding things together. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And uh, going back to White Zombie, um, you know, white, white Zombie is, especially, you know, early White Zombie, uh, all it is, is it's just a guitar and a singer who are going buck wild, riding on top of a really tight rhythm section. Um, where the bass player happens to be best friends with the singer, who is just wailing around and has no sense of rhythm or pitch or anything. <laughs> um, but but it worked, and like you know, it got people talking about the band. Like, yeah, we gotta check out this band. And and uh, unfortunately, the the bass is usually pretty buried in the mix with some of their earlier recordings. But I would love right. to hear a remaster of some, and and there's probably some on Spotify if I dug a little bit. Um, a remaster where you can really hear uh, Sean's bass playing. Um, yeah,
1: the bass like does it. tend to be the casualty of of mixes more often than not. The bass player getting completely annihilated in the mix. Oddly, Especially as older, much as people older can... mixes like from the eighties, oh get sure, that really sure. bad. Well, you got to make room for all the reverged drums. <laughs> on 80s yeah. music it's like right. no we need like a whole plate of reverb to just completely sw- swamp everybody out with these drums is that um, a pun
0: a plate of reverb would you like a plate of Pla- reverb sir a plate of reverb <laughs> sorry um, um as at uh, the the
1: mix on on trout Mask gets gets complained about fairly frequently the musicians are in particular not happy about it mostly i Mm -hmm. think because van fleet's voice kind of dominates everything else and often will completely wipe out the rest of the band it
0: does Um, and i so sorry to cut you off but i I had listened to that critique on on the frown land um rough mix that you had sent me and i do not really agree um, well i, I, I should, no i I agree i I do think that there are problems with the mix, but when you listen to it this this like very dry mix where everything um, you know the guitars are usually hard panned, but of course they mm. were mixing for vinyl at the time, so you hard panned because you would lose a lot of that um, width on the ma- on the mixed on the master but um I really like the mix on trout mask replica and I think you can hear everything actually really well. I mean of course their performances are top notch which helps but um I kind of like that and I, it it made me think of kind of like um like an early gang of 4 record or these like um you know these post punk uh albums maybe I I guess post punk would be the genre where it it was sort of this this moment in recording where um transistor amplifiers started showing up um, where these punk bands would bring in these tiny kind of crappy transistor amplifiers and we're doing these really dry recordings that producers hated. but <laughs> the musicians were like, no, this is great. It's not washed out. it's not it doesn't sound big. it sounds in your face and you can hear you know it, it it's like that really sharp attack and no release. there's no room sound. It just sounds like your ears right up against the the cabinet and they thought it was great and it was really punk rock and kind of this snotty way of recording that that tr- um, Captain Beefheart's totally doing on this album and I think it sounds great it's like it's, it's really punk rock I feel
1: I, I can absolutely hear what you mean in terms of Gang of Four like the, the guitar sound on entertainment and mm-hmm. e- even the kind of like slightly flat sound or dry sound of the bass on that album i, I can completely hear uh a beef heart connection and there's mm-hmm. there's a certain um brutal formalism in the way this album is mixed that um yes. you're talking about the hard panning of the guitars it's like it's always and i don't have the notes in front of me to know who who is who but one of the guitarists is always panned to the right and the other one is always panned to the left and it's never switched that each sure. song has exactly the same it has exactly the same panning. And um my guess would be that was Van Vliet's insistence. That seems based on the production on the later albums, that certainly seems seems to track. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can uh as particularly um when we were talking about the bass, uh Mark Boston's really unique idiosyncratic bass playing on this album. You it, yes. you can hear what he's doing a lot more than you can with the bass players on a lot of 1969 recordings with oh, with yeah. some with some very notable exceptions obviously sure
0: um no you're absolutely right and it's uh it's awesome <laughs> it's it, it, i mean it really adds to that uh a rhythmic, a um you know polytonal uh just this this cluster fuck, um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so am I allowed to cuss on this show, Joel? Yeah, that's fine. um, yeah, but this it it really helps with the density and in a way that that I appreciate as a bass player, and I'm sure you do too as a uh, bass hobbyist. and um yeah, I, uh, I i was I was thinking of other albums around this time um when when did well, actually, it might be quite later. When did Paranoid come out by Black Ooh. Sabbath?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I want to say 1970,
0: but I'm going to look it up. Excellent bass recording. One of the best bass recordings, I feel, at least of its genre.
1: Yeah, the bass is very prominent on uh, 1970. I was right. Woo! Okay, right um, on. The, yeah, the bass is pretty prominent on those early Black Sabbath records. Um, mm-hmm. and on that one and on the first self-titled
0: album. Right. Let's and, not talk yeah. about Master of Reality, one of the most disappointing recordings I can think of. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> I, I think that we're pretty much done. We've talked about twenty times as long as the actual song.
0: Um so uh
1: <laughs> did you have anything um in addition uh about old fart at play that you wanted to add?
0: Um I don't I don't think so. Um no I I don't. I mean we've kind of talked about everything I, I mean it, it's it is you know, it's only a, it's less than two minutes long, and it's completely absurd. I can't think of anything else to add to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, no, I I really appreciate this, Joel. This was interesting. Um, I, I will admit, whenever you know, whenever Allison and you know was mentioning this around me, and then you know, a couple of our friends, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'd like to do that. And then I really thought about it, and I was listening to the song. I was like, man. This bastard! What this? <laughs> it, it, it reminded me. You ever seen the Aristocrats? Oh yeah, the, sure. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, whenever um they're doing that, and they you know the host goes up to some comedians, and they're like, "How dare you! How dare you for filming this joke?" That's kind of how I feel felt about this album, because this album, you know, th- this is an album that I wrestle with, because it's it's hard to listen to, and it hurts, and yet so much of the culture that surrounds me tells me I should like it. And I do like it. I really do. But every time I go back to listen to it, I kind of stare at it from a distance and I'm like, you, uh, hmm, I'm not sure. I don't know. And then I listen to it and I'll, you know, I, I, and I, I just won't like it. And then the next day I'll listen to it and I'll be like, ah, oh, dang, this swings. <laughs> god i love this album this is great and it's always that second listen and never the first one and i i've done this before like four times in my life i'd be like i would listen to trout Mask replica that's supposedly something i should do and then i can't i hate it the first time and i just love it the second time <laughs> so it, i really sounds... appreciate you having me
1: <laughs> of course yeah this this sounds like my relationship with really spicy food <laughs> because I would say I love really spicy food. And then I'll go out and get some like super spicy Indian curry. I'm like, why do I do this to myself? It hurts right. it hurts so much. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I'm like, ooh, spicy food. I just it's this kind of, you know, Sideshow Bob hitting the rake in the face over and over <laughs> again approach to things. But I'm glad you keep coming back to it because there's yeah. there's an enormous amount of music
0: on this on this record. Oh yes, and if and if any musician tells me that listening to this album is not an act of at least a subtle masochism, they are lying.
1: I've so th- there. <laughs> Anyways, on, go on. Um, Darren usually uh, rates the tracks on each episode. I say the same thing. Each track for me is five out of five because I don't I don't believe you can compare this album to anything. Uh-huh. Um, but if you would like to rate the track out of five um you are you are welcome to do so, and also um your band is or your your solo project i should say mm-hmm. is uh night grinder and if you have anything else to you would like to plug or anywhere else you would like to
0: direct people's attention uh now is the time okay um i'm going to give it a five and uh i also um uh occasionally will do lights for kid mask um and help with some of his videos. He does kind of a uh, like a hard techno scrams project, and um, it's pretty harsh. And I like it. And if you if that sounds like something you would like, you can check that out too. Uh, I've also been active with Animal Object before, uh, a Denver improv group, which has worked with. Uh, The Violent Femmes and a few other um, nifty acts. So you can check that out as well. Very cool. And I will make sure that uh, that goes
1: up in along with the links to that uh, will go up in along with the episode description. Uh, If you want to follow Track by Track on Twitter, you can do so at underscore Track by Track. If you want to follow me on Twitter for some reason, I am at Joel A. Bakker, that's B-A-K-K-E-R, I am the same thing on Instagram. I would strongly recommend Instagram over Twitter because Twitter is a hellscape. And on Instagram, I get to post pictures of my cat, which is much more soothing. Uh, so, Brad, thank you once again for being on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, you're it's very welcome, Joel. Thank you. And thanks for, for listening. within the dark, interior glazed, watered in appreciation. Uh, uh, Joel, hold the phone. I keep on hearing a beeping coming from upstairs. I need to figure out what's going on.